On today's episode of the Keto Camp Podcast, we talk about mastering your blood sugars using a CGM machine with Kara Collier. Breaking a fast with protein, maybe non-starchy vegetables is a really good way to start. And the longer the fast, the more you want to be really strict about this and also break it with a smaller portion of something. And then go on a small walk, distract yourself, try to do something else so that you're not tempted to kind of like eat everything in sight because it really can, like you said, undo potentially all the good that you just did. So we have to be super careful about breaking a fast and carbohydrates are the worst thing to break a fast with. We have access to ancient healing strategies such as ketosis, fasting, and carnivore. And on the Keto Camp Podcast, we are determined to deliver the science to you. We bring in the thought leaders in this space to have extraordinary conversations so you could apply it and change your life. Your body was built to thrive. Your body is capable of healing as long as you identify the interference and remove it. I believe you are a masterpiece because you are a piece of the master. My name is Ben Azadi. I'm the best-selling author of Keto Flex, and I wanna thank you for spending part of your day with me. Hey, Keto Camper, Ben Azadi here, the host of the Keto Camp Podcast. Today's episode is a fun one with Kara Collier from NutriSense. She is a registered dietitian and nutritionist, and she and I geek out together on your blood sugar. We talk about using a, the value of using a CGM, a continuous glucose monitor, which I personally believe it's probably the one tool that if you use it will give you the most beneficial feedback to understand if the foods that you're eating, if the lifestyle that you're living is working for you or against you. Here are some of the topics we talked about today. The longer you fast, the more carbohydrate sensitive you are and the higher the glucose spike. So we talk about why you don't want to break your fast with a carb heavy meal. We talk about the relationship between stress, poor sleep, as it relates to your blood sugars. We talk about exercising, the glucose spike you get from exercise stress versus stress, mental emotional stress versus food stress. Kara shares when you are the least insulin sensitive versus the most insulin sensitive, meaning this is the time. There is a time during the day you wanna have most of your carbs versus the time during the day that you don't wanna have your carbs. We talk about how food sensitivities could skyrocket your blood sugars, and they could be keto-friendly foods, but if they're not agreeing with you, you have no idea, and it could be raising your glucose, kicking you out of ketosis. We talk about what to do if your glucose is rising during a fast, why it's important to have data over dogma, and we have an awesome opportunity for you listening to actually get yourself a continuous glucose monitor. You know, for years, there have been so many barriers to getting this unless you get a prescription if you're diabetic or pre-diabetic. But thankfully, courtesy of NutriSense, they made it very accessible, and I've been using one now. I have one on my arm right now, and their app is super cool. They give you a registered dietitian that communicates with you through the app, 
and you get 24-7 feedback to what your glucose is doing. So there's going to be an opportunity for you to get that at a discount. I'll share it right now, but you'll also hear it later on. The link is Nutrisense.io, Nutrisense.io, and you would use KetoCamp at checkout. No space in between, camp with a K, KetoCamp at checkout to get $25 off your CGM device. We will also put that down in the show notes below. Before I bring Kara on the show, I want to get to the Apple Podcast rating and review of the day. This is a five-star review from Tree Tat, titled Buckle Up. I've been researching the keto space for a while now, but Ben has by far the best podcast I've listened to. The guests he brings on are phenomenal, and Ben himself is a pleasure to listen to. The amount of information provided in each episode is amazing, and don't get me started on these show notes. I'm so glad you appreciate them. The show notes are the best I have seen. I've used them frequently to pinpoint a certain spot I wanted to listen to again. I've been researching keto and low-carb over the last few years, but listening to Ben and his guests and reading books they have all suggested has inspired me to do more. I'm currently a nurse practitioner, but Ben and his guests have inspired me to pursue functional medicine in order to help my patients even further. It may seem crazy to say a podcast changed my life, but that's exactly what has happened. This podcast has helped me see where my true passion lies and takes the steps to becoming my true authentic self. Ben, thank you for being your true authentic self and providing us with abundance of knowledge. I will be forever grateful. Oh my gosh, what a review, what a share, Tree Tat. Uh, My heart is just lit up right now. Thank you for the acknowledgement. Uh, First of all, I'm glad you enjoy the show notes. That's a courtesy of Rachel on our team. Thank you, Rachel. And thank you for being a frontline worker, first and foremost. And I'm glad this inspired you to dig a little bit deeper to cause and potentially become a functional practitioner. Look, if you're interested in actually uh, learning more about the group of doctors and, and practitioners I work with, including Dr. Pampa, Dr. Mindy Peltz, and others, shoot me an email, support at ketocamp.com. And I will point you in the right direction to have a conversation with somebody to see if it's a good fit. Uh, and, and yeah, shoot me an email, support at ketocamp.com. And I am also forever grateful for you. Thank you for pressing play. Thank you for taking the time to leave that rating and review. Thank you for going back and listening to the episodes and the, getting the books. And it just it just lights me up. So thank you so much for that. If you have not left the Keto Camp podcast, a rating or a review yet on Apple Podcast please do so today. Maybe I'll read your review on the next episode because it really does make the show grow and and impact more lives. So please do so right now. Just maybe hit pause and scroll down on your phone and just go to leave a rating and review and then come right back and join me. Okay, you're back. Awesome. If you listened to the previous episode of the Keto Camp Podcast, it was an epic one, almost two hours long, of the number one cause of cellular inflammation. I brought on Dr. Daniel Pampa, Dr. Caitlin Zazowski, and myself, and we dove deep into toxicity, specifically heavy metals like mercury, lead, and a few others. We also talk about glyphosate, although that's not a heavy metal, but it does have a relationship with these metals as it pushes it deeper inside of your tissues. But on that episode, I shared about a 90-day detox program. Not all detox programs are created equal. 99% of the detoxes out there fail to get to the metals deep inside your tissues, your brain cells, and your bone. But this one actually is developed by Dr. Daniel Pampa. It's called True Cellular Detox. And we actually have a couple spots left, two spots left, as a matter of fact, at the time of this recording, 
for you to join me, Dr. Pompa, Dr. Mindy Peltz, for 90 days and understand and apply true cellular detox. This episode is being released on Friday, and the True Cellular Detox first coaching call is three days from now, actually four days from right now. So hopefully you're hearing this on time. Hopefully you're an action taker. And if you are, I want to show you how to detox. I want to work with you for 90 days. What is involved with the program is you're going to get all the supplements included for detox. Prep phase, body phase, brain phase. You're also going to get a bottle of Cytodetox which has particles that enter, small particles that can enter your cells and pull out toxins and larger particles that act as a binder to take those toxins and put them into your bile and gut. And then we use binders to catch that. It's a very complex structure, but I'm going to teach it to you in a way that makes sense. So all the supplements are included. You also get four testing kits, meta-oxy testing kits, which is assessing your cell membrane inflammation. This is 50 times more accurate than any blood test. You get 50 of them, and we're going to watch that test improve over the course of the 90 days. You also get access to an online portal with videos and diet plans and resources and guides. You get to learn from me, Dr. Pompa, Dr. Mindy Peltz, and other detox specialists, and you get four Zoom calls with me and the other members. It's a very small group, by the way, very intimate. So we have two spots left, at least at the time of me recording this right now, and hopefully it's still available. Head to ketocampdetox.com, camp with a K, ketocampdetox.com, learn about it, get enrolled. Our coaching, our first coaching call is actually a few days from right now, and I hope to show you the way to true cellular detox. Head to ketocampdetox.com. We'll drop a link for that in the podcast notes down below. I always say structure trumps intention. You could have all the best intentions in the world, but if you don't have the structure in place, it's going to be very difficult to get the amazing keto and fasting results that you want. If you are on the go traveling and you don't want to think about what can you eat to help you feel satisfied and to help you continue getting results on your keto journey, for me, my structure when I'm on the go, when I'm traveling, and when I want to have something nearby that's a healthy snack my go-to is Paleo Valley's Beef Sticks. Paleo Valley Beef Sticks are the perfect gut-friendly, clean protein snack for on the go. And if you have children, this is one of the best things to give your kids. These beef sticks are 100% grass-fed and finished by farmers right here in the United States. They contain naturally occurring probiotics, which helps increase the diversity in your gut. It contains organic spices. It has high concentrations of omega-3 fatty acids, elevated levels of conjugated linoleic acid, which we know is an antioxidant and also could enhance your body's ability to burn fat. It contains vitamins and minerals, elevated concentrations of glutathione, which is your body's master antioxidant, and it's good for the environment. They have flavors that range from original to garlic summer sausage, regular summer sausage, jalapeno, teriyaki, and they also have turkey sticks available as well. They taste so good that I usually go through three or four, and I think I might set the record for eating almost 10 Paleo Valley beef sticks. Maybe somebody out there has eaten more than me in one sitting. You know, me and my fiance, Natasia, we're always fighting over these beef sticks in our house. We go into the pantry, and I hear her unwrapping it, and I'm like, hey, are you eating one of my beef sticks? <laughs> They are delicious, and since you are an avid listener of the Keto Camp Podcast, we worked out an exclusive deal for you to get 15% off your entire order of Paleo Valley products. All you need to do is head to paleovalley.com and use the coupon code KETOCAMP15 
at checkout for 15% off your entire order. That is KetoCamp15 at checkout. We'll also drop a link down below in the show notes. All right, let's dive deep into the co-founder of NutriSense, Kara Collier. Kara Collier is a registered dietitian, nutritionist, certified nutrition support clinician who specializes in glucose control and metabolism. She graduated from Purdue University and previously worked as a clinical dietitian at Providence Hospital and in a management role at Nutritionix. So here's Kara Collier. Hey, Kara. Hey, Ben. How are you? I'm doing excellent. How about you? I'm doing great. Happy to be here. So I hear great things about you from a couple of my colleagues, Cynthia Thurlow, also Dr. Mindy Peltz speaks highly of you, and you're doing some great work with NutriSense. So I would love for you to start the episode with talking about your backstory. Why did you want to get involved with the CGM industry? Yeah, so I am a registered dietitian, and I started my career in nutrition in a pretty traditional way. So I was mostly working in hospitals, particularly ICUs, critical care nutrition. So I expected ICU nutrition to look like people coming in with you know, bullet shot wounds or car accident trauma. But a lot of times what we were seeing were intense complications of lifestyle related chronic conditions. So somebody needing to come in with an urgent amputation because of uncontrolled diabetes or needing to go on kidney dialysis because of uncontrolled hypertension. You know, those were the type of situations I was working with. It was very eye-opening, but it was also very frustrating and sad. You know, there was a lot of suffering, a lot of pain, a lot of time, a lot of resources going to address these really severe problems that could have been prevented in the first place. So from my experience working in a few different hospitals, I really had a passion that was starting to develop to try to figure out a way to catch these issues way, way earlier and address them in a way that worked and was meaningful. That was my other frustration uh, for the dietetics world, the healthcare world, the medical world. A lot of the recommendations we were giving to these people were also not helping them. You know, you have your diabetic who's just had a leg amputated and we're upping their insulin dosage and telling them to count their carbs and sending them on their way. And I realized very quickly there has to be a better way because this is not effective. It's not really helping people. Um, so from there is a long rabbit hole of kind of working at a different startup, really getting interested in software and um, entrepreneurship, and also discovering continuous glucose monitors or CGMs. Uh, so the more I played around with these devices and tried them on myself, my friends, my family, I realized immediately how powerful of a tool they are uh, for multiple reasons. You know, one is they give us some insight for the first time, continuous insight into our metabolic health, which a lot of these conditions I was seeing, the hypertension, cardiovascular disease, diabetes, of course, cancers can really be stemmed back to metabolic health. So if we can find something that can identify issues early, be motivating for people, be personalized and actually work, it just felt like a win all around. So from there, met up with a couple of my co-founders and we started NutriSense where we're trying to make this data that is so important available to everyone, not just the diabetic who is on insulin and had their leg amputated, 
that person also needs to be wearing a CGM, but we believe that everyone can get benefit from it so that we can reduce the amount of people kind of ending up in those situations. I love it. I love it, Kara. Totally aligned with that. And the, one of the stats out there with a- amputations in America, 100,000 amputations every year in America from the complications of diabetes. And my dad actually died from the complications of diabetes back in 2013. And the truth of the matter is that nobody, I shouldn't say nobody, it's rare to actually die from type 2 diabetes. What kills the person is the degeneration of it, the heart disease, the strokes, the, the kidney malfunction. So if you have a device that's showing what direction you're trending towards, you can make a better decision. Like Einstein said, intellectuals solve problems, geniuses prevent them. So we want to be geniuses and we want to be proactive, not reactive. That's why I think the CGM is probably the best device that you can use. If there's something you're going to spend your money on, I love gadgets. I love devices. I'm blessed enough to be able to experiment with a lot of them, but I would put CGMs at the top of my list. And we'll talk a little bit later, Kara, about when I wore one for 60 days, some of the things I saw, and I'll get your coaching on that. But let's break down for somebody who really doesn't know what a CGM is. What is it exactly? How do you use it? Do you have to prick your fingers all the time? So share more about exactly what a CGM is. Yeah, so it's a small device, um, about the size of a quarter, and it is considered a medical device in the United States. So to be a medical device, you need a prescription, and this is part of the reason that it's limited for a lot of people. You have to be able to convince your physician to write this prescription and give you the device, and they're most likely not going to do it unless you're that diabetic case. Isn't that crazy, though? Like, you have to be to do a certain point. Okay, then we'll write it for you. Well, even, you know, we hear a lot of stories from diabetics who aren't on insulin or their diabetes are fairly well controlled, but they want to get it even more controlled or reverse it. And their physicians are saying, no, you know, you're fine. You don't need that. You only need if you're like on insulin or if you're a type one. It's very sad. We have to change the way we're thinking about healthcare, of course, but the likelihood that if you're a generally healthy person who wants to stay healthy, if you ask your physician to write a prescription for this, the chances of that happening are are slim to none, unfortunately. So we take care of all that legwork for you. And then when you get the device itself, it's something you put on at home. It's super simple. It comes in a little applicator and I describe it as like an easy button. You essentially kind of, it goes on the back of your arm near the tricep area and you just kind of push the button and it's in there. So it uses a needle for insertion, but then the needle is removed. And the only thing that's left just below the surface of your skin is a flexible microfilament. And so it's painless. It stays there on the back of your arm then due to a little adhesive for two weeks straight. So for 14 days, you're going to get continuous data from that device. So to get the data from your device, you just scan your phone. Um, we have an app, of course, that displays the data, interprets it. But if you scan it, you'll get an updated graph of your, your glucose levels, and you're going to get that for 14 days. So you don't need to prick your finger. You can if you want to calibrate it. You know, that's another question we get common if we want to get into that. But it's optional. Um, The devices are factory calibrated. So there's no blood needing to be drawn. There's no finger pricks needing to happen. And you're getting a full picture of what that glucose data looks like. So instead of maybe you pricked your finger before a meal and two hours after and you got two data points and you're trying to guess what happened in between those two data points, you know exactly because you're seeing this graph of all these nuances. And then when the two weeks is over, you just peel it off and toss it like a Band-Aid. 
Very easy. Honestly, it doesn't. It didn't even hurt when I first did it. I thought because it looks kind of intimidating. The needle is a little bit long, but that's not going. The whole needle is not going in you. Just the tip of it. So when I first did it, I applied it. It was that little like. And then I was uh, thinking, oh, is it on? Because I didn't feel a damn thing, but it was on. And then I put that little adhesive over it. And for 14 days, I didn't mess with it. There was no pain or anything like that. And then all I had to do was just grab my phone, scan it, and I'd get an instant reading. And it, and it recycles every 15 minutes. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. So the values themselves are being picked up about every 15 minutes. And then it's kind of building a cohesive graph from there. And then we use the Abbott Freestyle Libre. There's another device that's very common called the Dexcom. Both of them kind of work in fairly similar ways. But the Libre holds data for up to eight hours at a time. So you could go eight hours without scanning it with your phone and then when you scan it eight hours later you'll you'll get that whole eight hours pulled onto the phone that's pretty cool that's the one i use the libre as well and we know that the higher your glucose is the faster you're aging it's creating these advanced glycation end products so optimally i would and i want to hear your thoughts on it here's my optimal ranges for glucose i have ketones but we're talking specifically glucose here fasted 70 to 90 in that range right there those are u.s new units and then one hour after eating a meal postprandial i like to see it at 120 or below and then two hours after eating the meal i like to see it below 100 how does that pair up with your optimal readings Yeah, that lines up nicely. So when we're thinking about fasted glucose, we also recommend 70 to 90 range um, milligrams per deciliter. And if you're looking at, if you're just Googling what's a healthy fasted glucose, it'll probably tell you 70 to 100. But there is a lot of research that indicates when we get to that 90 to 100 range, we're starting to see some increased risk. So we really want to shoot for 70 to 90 most of the time. And then postprandial, like you mentioned, means after a meal. And so we want to see it returned back to baseline values, usually in that two hour mark. So we recommend aiming for a hundred or lower or back to pre-meal values by that two hour mark. And then we look at a peak glucose value. So how high did your glucose go after you ate? And if you're on, you know, more of a mixed macronutrient diet, we want to aim for 140 or less because 140 is when we start to see a threshold of having some detrimental effects. But we tell our people who are following a low carb diet, ketogenic diet, that we really wouldn't expect to see it go above 120 in that instance, unless it's something related to exercise or stress, which we can talk about, which we still want to keep low, but in a ketogenic meal, we should not see it go above 120. So similar recommendations there, which is also not captured in traditional uh, guidelines. If you Google what is optimal postprandial, the only thing they're looking at is two hour. And, you know, they want it below like 140, I think at the two hour mark. And they're never paying attention to peak glucose value, which is missing a huge amount of information that Um, I hope becomes more mainstream one day. Yeah, me too. And we're going to have an opportunity for you keto campers to get the device and kind of bypass. You don't bypass a prescription, but you bypass all of the rejections to getting it. So we're going to have an opportunity for you to get it at a discounted rate. So stay tuned for that. I do want to talk about, because here's what I saw when I wore it for 60 days. I actually did it when I was doing a little bit of carnivore and then keto. 
but I think I had a food sensitivity to coconut whipped cream, keto friendly, right? And, but it jacked up my blood glucose to over 150, just having some coconut whipped cream. So do you see that with food sensitivities? Yeah, that's really interesting. And did you have any symptoms like GI symptoms, like brain fog or inflammation when you, when you had those food or the only thing that changed was the glucose? Uh, I think the only thing that changed was the glucose. I didn't really notice anything else. Yeah, we have noticed this where sometimes people don't have symptoms at all and then they go and do a full food sensitivity testing and it is a food they're sensitive to. Um, an example I bring up is somebody who was just eating macadamia nuts and having a glucose spike to like 130. And mm -hmm. he was very confused because macadamia nuts are very keto friendly. And then he did do the food sensitivity testing and that was like his highest sensitivity. Uh, so there's certainly a relationship there. This is not well-defined in the research at all. And it's different than a food allergy, you know, which stimulates the IgE response. But this food sensitivity might be triggering this general inflammatory response, which can then show up in our glucose values. So it doesn't mean it's an exact causation, but I've seen that relationship as well. I have a, a question regarding uh, the stress response from exercise and what that does to your glucose versus the stress response from mental emotional stress. So I want to get clear on this. So when we exercise, there's two primary reasons why I think glucose goes up. Number one, your body could release some of the stored glycogen stores to be used for energy. And then number two, cortisol will go up to help you get energy for that workout. Now, is that different? Because when you do a workout, and I want you to coach me here, when you do a workout and you get that cortisol response, is there also an insulin response that follows that or no? Yeah, and if you start to dive into the research on this, you it becomes clear very quickly that it's a little unknown and it's very confusing. But there's certainly there is insulin-mediated glucose responses and non-insulin-mediated glucose response. So our glucose can spike and our body can deal with that glucose spike without having to utilize insulin. And most likely the spike that we get sometimes from exercise is a combination of both mechanisms at play. So in general, we tend to see this glucose response if you have a very high intensity workout or um, you're doing something rather strenuous. So sprints, hit circuit, maybe you're PRing and your weight lift, uh, something that requires a lot of energy. It makes sense that you're going to have a glucose spike because your current supply of energy in the body is not enough to meet the demands that you're placing it under. And it also stimulates a little bit of that stress response. So what we're seeing is we're, we're stimulating a little bit of stress hormones, but we're also breaking down glycogen stores, probably also stimulating gluconeogenesis to fuel that acute energy demand. But mm. the difference between that and I just drank a soda and had the same glucose spike, or I just got in an argument with my spouse and had that same glucose spike, is that the exercise is demanding the energy and it's getting used right away, right? It's mm. not like if we just had a soda and we sat on the couch, we have all this energy in our system, this extra glucose, but we don't really have a need for it. The reason your body is stimulating a glucose response with high intensity exercise is because it needs it. So we usually see a quick spike and a quick return to normal as you utilize that energy. 
And we also know that that type of exercise stimulates a whole downflow um, mechanisms that improve glucose sensitivity, insulin sensitivity over the next sometimes up to 48 hours. So that exercise, and it works both for aerobic and strength training, is going to increase our GLUT4 production. So that's going to help bring up the glucose circulating in your bloodstream. It also increases our insulin sensitivity, and it also increases that non-insulin mediated glucose uptake. So some people see this improvement in insulin sensitivity for 24 to 48 hours after exercise. So it's stimulating all of these very beneficial pathways. So um, when people see a glucose spike to maybe 140 or 160 in a CrossFit style workout, they get a little concerned, but it's nothing to be concerned about. We actually only get worried if it gets up to about 180 because that's when we start to have some evidence that we're tipping the bucket of beneficial versus potentially detrimental. That's such a large amount of glucose flooding the system that it could be quite inflammatory. Um, it could be damaging to the blood vessels themselves. And we really usually only see spikes to that level with exercise. Um, for people who are competing, they're you know, training really heavily or doing something very intense. It's not common. And a lot of times we can mitigate that with some fueling beforehand, electrolytes, hydration, kind of giving the body a little bit more circulating energy before the workout. But for most intents and purposes, most people don't need to worry about that. Great explanation. That's the biggest difference right there. When you're exercising, you're actually burning down the blood sugars versus being stressed out and sitting down or eating or drinking a soda and sitting down. You're not burning it off. And that is detrimental versus the exercise, which is completely normal. And let's talk about, uh, go ahead. Were you going to say something? Yeah, I was just, I was going to go into the the stress response a little bit more, yeah. if, if that's helpful of, you know, when our bodies are built to have an acute stress response, as we all know, you know, the classic example of a tiger is chasing you and you need energy to deal with that. When we have an acutely stressful moment, we have a stimulation of cortisol, of adrenaline, of all these hormones that work to increase glucose production and decrease insulin sensitivity so that essentially you have extra fuel to deal with your acute stressor. And that used to work very well in our benefit, and it works a little bit against us in modern stressors. Again, fighting with your spouse in a traffic jam, going through work emails might feel acutely stressful. You might still have that physiological response, but we're not needing energy in the same way. And it's even worse with chronic stress because it's a constant hum of that response where maybe we're not getting a, a big glucose spike, but we're kind of always have some higher baseline glucose values that consistently elevated glucose some decreased insulin sensitivity from a chronic stress response is usually shows up in those higher fasted and higher average glucose values. Uh, so that's just something for people to be aware of and think about when they're, if they're wearing a CGM, if they're testing their glucose in any way, how important monitoring stress is because it's a evolutionarily beneficial uh, response that is, is not so matched up with our current environment. I want to take a quick break here to share with you about the dangers of taking fish oil. I know, shocking. I was somebody who took fish oil every single day for years. And then I came across a ton of research showing the dangers of consuming fish oil. I immediately found an amazing product called Pureform. Pureform is a plant-based omega 
And the cool thing about Pureform is that it is uniquely processed with nitrogen to preserve it and make sure it does not oxidize. These essential fatty acids are cold pressed and you get the proper balance of omega-6 and omega-3 to feed your cells what it desires. We know that life begins and ends at the cell membrane. And when you have the proper fats, the building blocks for those cell membranes, all of a sudden, your fat burning hormones can do its job. So you lose weight. All of a sudden, your cells produce energy. So you feel good. So we know that cellular health is key for performance and longevity. So I've been taking Pureform every single day. My dog takes it every single day. So does my girlfriend and my mom. This is how much I love the product. If you want to get your bottle delivered to your door, head over to purelifescience.com. Check them out. Order a bottle or two, and you'll be amazed by how you feel after taking this just after a few days. That is purelifescience.com. Use the coupon code BEN4 to apply a $4 off coupon. That is BEN, B-E-N, and the number four. International shipping is available. Okay, let's go back into this episode of the Keto Camp Podcast. What about sleep? What, what about the role of uh, a lot of people are not getting quality sleep each night? And we know that when you are chronically sleep deprived, you're going to have higher levels of cortisol the next morning. And doesn't glucose and insulin fall along the way of cortisol when that happens? Yeah, absolutely. And, and when we think about just the broad categories of how do I optimize my glucose values? What do I need to think about? We always talk about diet, exercise, stress, and sleep. They're equal components of the picture. So sleep is something we really have to pay attention to. And this is really eye-opening for a lot of people. Um, it's, it's actually a bi-directional relationship where poor glucose going into the night can affect your quality of sleep, but also a bad night of sleep is definitely going to affect your glucose values the next day. Poor glucose, you mean like like processed carbs or something like that? Yeah, so if you go to bed and your glucose is kind of high because maybe you had a late night meal or mm, um, you were it. drinking, you had desserts, when we see that that interrupts your ability to get into a deeper level of sleep and it's almost like your body is kind of on alert. It's stimulating the nervous response and you're just not able to get into that same level of sleep because your body's in this conflicted state of, should I be metabolizing and processing this food or should I be working? on sleep and rest and re you know repair um, and we're not great at doing both of those at the same time so for a lot of people this is just being mindful of not eating right before bed having some fasting before your you go to bed is very helpful trying to avoid kind of late night snacks late night meals especially those higher in carbohydrates but then the reverse of this a poor night of sleep is is certainly going to have an impact on your glucose values the next day and this is really because it's a form of chronic stress, just like you said, it stimulates a similar cortisol response, which has that effect on glucose levels and insulin sensitivity. Uh, and this has been studied pretty thoroughly of both interrupted sleep. So maybe you got eight hours in bed, but you were waking up every hour or you had deep sleep, but you only slept for four or five hours. Both of those on average can raise glucose values by up to 25% the next day. Wow. Which is pretty alarming. You know, sometimes people will have their go to breakfast, they eat every day, and they had terrible sleep last night, and they eat the same meal that they always respond well to, and it's 20 points higher than usual. And it's just because the body is under this stress response from inadequate sleep. 
So for some people, I know we work with a lot of new parents where this is a difficult thing to overcome. You're not suddenly going to be able to sleep more and at a higher quality. And so that means maybe we have to pull harder on other levers. You know, if you're not going to be able to improve sleep, we can still have good sleep hygiene and, and do our best there, of course. We really need to make sure that diet is dialed in, you know, that work can control the different things that are at least in our control. Yeah, absolutely. You know, control the things you can control, but eventually we want to make sure we're getting that that optimal sleep. I, I think sleep is, is more, they're all important, like you said, but if you don't have that foundation of sleep, even fasting and exercise and keto, it's just not going to work as efficient as if that sleep was optimal. So definitely want to opt, optimize the sleep. You know, on a question on fasting, I always say when we break a fast, especially the longer a fast, so 18 hours, 24 hours or longer, the, the longer the fast, the more sensitive the hormones are. So uh, one of the worst things to break a fast with is high carbs and fat. So how does your data align with, with that breaking a fast with a high carbohydrate meal? What do you think about that? Yeah, and this is something that a lot of people will say was one of their biggest insights, especially with the longer fast. And you know, we have a lot of people who do one 24-hour fast a week. And there's a lot of psychology that goes on with fasting sometimes where people feel like I just fasted for a day, two days, three days, and now I'm going to have kind of a cheat meal or a yeah. binge meal. And it's probably the worst time mm -hmm. to have that type of meal. You ruin most of the benefits. You really have just undone uh, yeah, everything you did. So I've seen it multiple times where somebody does a three-day fast breaks it with a cheeseburger, french fries, and soda, and we see glucose levels higher than they've ever been for two days straight. Like it takes a long time for them to come back down to normal. And it's a very apparent eye-opening moment of that was not a good strategy and that's not helpful. You know, it, it should have just never fasted and stuck to my regular diet and we would be better off. But the same thing happens with your daily fast just to a lesser extreme. Um, but we'll see a more pronounced glucose response to the first thing that you're eating in the day. And this is because of a whole host of different things that are happening when you're fasting, but we are using having more you know, fatty acids in circulation when we're fasting, and this can decrease our insulin sensitivity in the moment. So breaking a fast with protein, maybe non-starchy vegetables is a really good way to start. And the longer the fast, the more you want to be really strict about this and also break it with a smaller portion of something. And then go on a small walk, distract yourself, try to do something else so that you're not tempted to kind of like eat everything in sight because it really can, like you said, undo potentially all the good that you just did. So we have to be super careful about breaking a fast and carbohydrate are the worst thing to break a fast with, even yep. healthy carbohydrates. You're right. Even, I mean, and it's more important the longer you fast. So if you're going past 24 hours, you want to be even more diligent with, with doing it the right way. So I like a bone broth to break a fast, maybe some eggs and avocado. And then you mentioned going for a walk. So what impact does going for a walk after a meal do for your glucose? postprandial glucose. Yeah, it's a really, really easy, impactful hack. You know, this is everyone's favorite insight because it's so simple. And it's one of those things where you hear a lot of things like walking is good for you or XYZ is good for you. And you're like, is it actually true or not? It's not super meaningful if you don't really know if it works. And this is something that works for everyone. Just more movement throughout the day, but especially pairing that walk after a meal can really dramatically stabilize glucose values. 
you know, there's multiple reasons for this again, but one is that our skeletal muscles are our largest sink for glucose. So most of our circulating glucose in the system is going to get picked up by the skeletal muscle. So even gently stimulating your muscles, moving a little bit, trying to avoid sedentary behavior can make a really big difference. You know, especially if you have your CGM on and you're watching your glucose climb, because maybe it's a birthday or a special occasion and you had something out of the ordinary or it's just going up for whatever reason, you can go on that walk and just watch it come back down and see how it works. Um, it's a really helpful tool for many people and it's a good bang for your buck because it's also good for mental health, for stress reduction, being out in nature. Uh, there's a lot of reasons we would want to encourage walking, but a, people are much more motivated to stick to it when they can see that it's doing something helpful. And it could be just like a 10 minute walk, right? Yeah, absolutely. 10, 15 minutes after a meal is, is enough to see a benefit. That's a bonus of having a dog because you just walk your dog after a meal and you get the oxytocin boost of, you know, petting your dog and hugging your dog. So I'm always walking my dog. What are some other things that we can do? We could call them biohacks. Like what about cold exposure? Uh, has that been shown to help uh, reduce glucose? Yeah, both cold exposure and, you know, heat therapy sauna. So they work in different ways, of course, but both of them have the net neutral benefit of lowering glucose over time. So with cold therapy, um, as many people might know, that's stimulating that brown fat. And that brown fat is the type of fat that's loaded with mitochondria. And so when we stimulate it with cold therapy and it becomes activated, this is actually very metabolically active tissue and it consumes and utilizes glucose values and helps to lower insulin levels. So um, this has been shown in the research, but we also see it in people's data. Of, you'll see a dip in the moment when you're doing cold therapy, but it also, if you're doing it consistently, can help to lower fasted and average glucose levels. And with sauna, it's actually the opposite, where you'll see a spike in the moment, just like exercise. Um, it's mostly related to a fluid distribution is at least what is thought to be believed of, you know, you're switching the fluid distribution throughout the different compartments of your body when you're hot and sweating a lot. And that might cause the glucose to be elevated during the sauna session but it should lower glucose values overall later in the day over you know, your 24-hour average. And this is essentially because it's working like a cardiovascular workout. So those benefits we get from exercising can be duplicated or mitigated when we also are doing the sauna therapy. So it's helping to increase our insulin sensitivity, lower glucose levels. Both of those are very helpful hacks to have in our, our toolbox. Yeah, awesome. Hot or cold, both are beneficial. Have you experimented personally or seen some data on somebody who has experimented with like berberin or dihydroberberin or metformin or bitter melon or these like blood sugar reducing herbs and medications? Yeah, so... Berberine we've seen to be the most effective. So some people have a little bit of GI symptoms with this. So we do recommend trying to take it with food if possible. Um, but this is the one that we have seen supplement wise that we've seen to be the most beneficial in lowering glucose values. What we have seen though, is for a lot of people, they need to be taking it consistently and they start to see a gradual improvement over time. Um, whereas I, we don't see a noticeable improvement for most people if it's taken kind of sporadic. Uh, so if it's something you want to try, I'd recommend trying it for a couple of weeks and seeing how your glucose values compare. Another one that isn't 
technically a supplement, but that actually works is just apple cider vinegar or vinegar of any type that actually works. You know, that's another thing where people are like, does that work? I'm not sure. It works for everyone. Just a little bit of vinegar, maybe mixed with water before a meal. And we see a dramatically improved, reduced glucose response. So, or drizzling it on your meal, if you're doing something like a salad or something uh, where the vinegar makes sense, it's a good hack to have in your toolbox. We've seen people try a few other supplements with mixed results. Sometimes it's probably difficult to quantify when uh, they're trying so many things, but there's certainly research to show that chromium could be beneficial. Bitter melon and cinnamon as supplements could also be beneficial or worthwhile um, experimenting with probably pretty little downside. And then there's a few nutrients where supplementing beyond your needs might not give you any benefit, but if you are deficient in those nutrients, you might see more dysregulated glucose values. The most common and probably well-known being vitamin D. You know, if we have low vitamin D levels, we know that vitamin D affects a whole host of systems in the body, but it is also related to glucose and insulin sensitivity. So yep. getting those vitamin Ds up to optimal levels can improve glucose control. Same with zinc uh, and magnesium. Those are two nutrients that are really tightly related to glucose metabolism. And we want to make sure if we're not getting enough from our food stores uh, that we're supplementing until we can get our diet up to par. Great suggestion. Yeah, I've seen with vitamin D and glucose and insulin have this inverted relationship. A lot of people who have insulin resistance and diabetes have low vitamin D. And as they work on their glucose and insulin, that vitamin D goes up and it's this inverted relationship. And then for the berberin, there's also dihydroberberin, which actually makes the conversion so your gut doesn't have to do it. So it's a little bit easier on the gut. I've seen the same thing. Kara, a lot of people, it gives them some digestive issues. So yeah, having it with a meal is a good idea. I have a question that I get asked all the time, but I want to hear your thoughts on it. And that's about higher glucose levels in the morning, the dawn effect. Have you seen, like, what are some of the most common contributing factors to that? Yeah, so this is something we get asked about this a lot as well. It's a common phenomenon where you're going to potentially see a little bit of a glucose bump in the early morning hours, depending on your sleep-wake cycle, what your circadian rhythm is like. For most people, that occurs between about like 4 to 8 a.m. And this is what I call your body's natural alarm clock. We have a couple of our hormones like cortisol and adrenaline that get stimulated during those hours and it causes a little bump in glucose. But if you're insulin sensitive, rather healthy, you should also be able to lower those glucose values back down. So for some people, when they first wake up, their glucose might be the highest of the day. But a couple hours after waking, moving around, stimulating your muscles, it's back down to the 70s or even lower if you're following a potentially a ketogenic diet. And that would be a normal, healthy glucose pattern. However, what we see a lot of times with our insulin-resistant folks is they have that bump in cortisol, glucose goes up, but then the body has a hard time bringing it back down. So we see glucose go from 80 to 110, and then it kind of stays there. And then maybe it gets even higher with meals throughout the day. And that would be a pattern to be concerned about. So when we're looking at glucose in isolation, just that small snapshot of your morning glucose values, which is what people are probably most familiar with, because that's what you're usually checking on like a glucometer. Uh, we want to look at the big picture. You know, what is your 24 hour glucose levels? 
what are your glucose levels throughout the whole stretch of the night? Just not just that, you know, two hour window we're getting fixated on. Not that we don't want to pay attention to it, but I think sometimes we need to take a step back and see how you look overall. You know, how is your glucose responding to a carbohydrate challenge or how is your glucose respond to your go-to meals? Uh, you know, what's that 24 hour average? If all of those things look amazing and your highest glucose value of the day is hundred at 6 AM, I'm much less concerned. And some people just have a more pronounced on phenomenon than others. Yeah. And we don't really have any evidence to suggest that this is a bad thing. From what I've noticed, it just varies from person to person. However, if you're having those really elevated fasting glucose values consistently, not just in that snapshot of time, we want to look back again at how is your sleep? You know, what is your stress levels like? How are you dealing with stress, stress management techniques, and see if you're stimulating that chronic stress response, and that might be what's going on there. So we do want to dig a little bit deeper, but sometimes it's just the natural variance from person to person of a slightly more pronounced effect. Yeah, exactly. A great explanation. So that's exactly what I would have said too. So perfect. Uh, fasting, uh, block fasting. I had a question as you were speaking. Have you reviewed a lot of data on somebody doing a block fast three or more days? And if you have, what was the lowest glucose they hit that you've seen? And then do they track ketones at the same time, if, if, you, knew, if you know that at all? Yeah, we've certainly seen a lot of people. We haven't tracked it in a formal way of like doing a research study, which would be rather interesting, but we've certainly worked with a lot of people who are doing longer fasts. And I would say the lowest we've seen it is maybe like the high fifties and they feel fine, you know, and they're not symptomatic. And this is something where uh, a lot of people get really worried if their glucose is anything below 70, because we've traditionally been taught that that's hypoglycemia, eat something fast candy. Uh, but those recommendations were designed and built for diabetics who do not have normal glucose regulation. They don't have those systems that work properly anymore, and they might have lost the ability to feel those hypoglycemic symptoms. Mm -hmm. uh, but for people doing fast, people following a ketogenic diet, you might have a fasted glucose value in the 60s. It might even get to the high 50s. And you feel amazing, you're not symptomatic, and that's not anything to be concerned about as long as ketones are also rising, right? We should see go. that yeah. in first relationship. <laughs> so that shows us there's energy available and the symptoms are really important because if you're getting hypoglycemia symptoms, dizziness, shaking, sweating, your brain is trying to tell you a signal that it's not getting enough energy to the brain and we want to pay attention to that. But typically, you know, as long as glucose is above 50, 55 and you're not having symptoms and ketones are rising, I'm really not concerned. So the examples we've seen, I would say normally people are more in the 60s though in those longer fasts if they're insulin sensitive, healthy, and ketones are getting at least above two, usually higher. Yeah. It's up to five or six, but I yeah, feel like, yeah. Again, so there's a lot of variance between people on that one. They, they totally are. Yeah. So I did a five day water fast a couple of years ago and I, my glucose dropped down to 52 but my ketones went up uh, over 5.0, right? And I felt fine. So my body was just using those ketones up. My brain was using the ketones. And Becky, I just see Becky said her, hers got down to 48, right? So I, I see this a lot, not necessarily 48, but I see a lot of people go below 60 and they get concerned. And I ask, did you check ketones or ketones up? How do you feel? And as long as ketones are up to your point, Kara, and you feel fine, then it should be okay. Just continue doing what you're doing and just break the fast the right way. But if you have those hypoglycemic symptoms and ketones are like below 1.0, then that could be an issue.
If you're anything like me, you probably spend some money each month on your supplements. But what if you're still tired and you just don't feel 100% well? Well, there could be a deficiency. What if there was a way to know if you were actually absorbing your supplementation or not absorbing and maybe you're taking too much of something? Well, what I'm bringing you today is a chance to accurately test all of that. In this case, I'm talking about upgraded formulas, upgraded hair test kit and consultation. And once you uncover these hidden deficiencies, you could get rid of these symptoms you might be experiencing that might be affecting your thyroid, adrenals, or much more. Upgraded Formulas is a very cool company. I interviewed Barton Scott, who is the founder and chemical engineer who helps craft all their supplements. And they have this really cool upgraded mineral deficiency analysis. So say goodbye to blood and urine tests, which typically indicate short-term results. Hair is the best identifier, and you could get that hair from your head, armpit area, or even pubic area, and you'll receive a consultation with a member of Upgraded Formulas to help discuss your results. And it's very simple. Collect your hair sample, send it in, and get your results fast. We've worked out an exclusive deal, KetoCamp podcast listeners, to receive 10% off your order. Head to UpgradedFormulas.com, use the coupon code BEN10 at checkout to get your hair mineral kit and any other supplements that you could find on their website. That is UpgradedFormulas.com, use the coupon code BEN10. One more thing here that you mentioned, I think when you were speaking to, uh, maybe it was Mindy, but you said, so in the middle of the night is when you're least insulin sensitive. Is that correct? Yeah. Midday, you're most insulin sensitive, right? Yeah, that's correct. And this is, again, one of those things that we weren't expecting to see happen so dramatically or so pronounced in the data, but we see it over and over with everyone is that we tend to have higher and more prolonged glucose responses to the same exact meal if it's eaten late at night versus if it's eaten during daytime hours. And this comes back to kind of making sure also you have some fasting time before bed to have optimal sleep. But what we're seeing is that, and this is in the literature as well, that we have um, best insulin sensitivity in the middle of the day, daylight hours, and the lowest insulin sensitivity in the middle of the night. What time, like what time is that? Could you give me a time frame? Yeah, and it varies, of course, from person to person, depending on your circadian rhythm. It, it tends to follow that circadian rhythm. But for most people, we recommend eating during daylight hours. I know that changes winter to summer and trying to avoid food if it's dark out as a general rule of thumb. So trying to avoid food after like 6, 7 p.m. tends to work pretty well for most people. But again, we see a little bit of variance on that time where some people, you know, they have really elevated glucose values all night long if they eat past seven, but before seven's fine, or for other, they find eight is a good cutoff for them. But what we see is those more prolonged glucose responses. You know, you eat one meal a day and you eat it at 9 p.m. and yeah. we see a big response for 12 hours afterwards. But if we experiment and try that meal at noon, we see a response for three hours. We've seen this in, with a shift workers working with nurses who their meals are in the middle of the night, uh, see these huge glucose responses, but then they have the same meals on their off days during daytime hours, and it's very well controlled. 
So it turns out that insulin sensitivity works on a circadian rhythm, just like you know other hormones that work on a circadian rhythm, like melatonin that we're more familiar with. Uh, our body is not designed to be metabolizing food and processing food in the middle of the night when it's supposed to be more of the rest and restoration, sleeping type of processes. You know, it's a simple tip to to, uh, it sounds simple, I should say, but it's hard to do. You know, for most people, they like to snack late at night. They have their late dinners. But like you said, just fasting three hours at the bare minimum before bed could help with fat loss. It could help with inflammation. It'll help with your sleep because it does take tremendous amounts of energy and resources and blood flow to digest a meal. And if you eat that meal and then go to bed, you have now all those resources being directed for digestion versus repair and recover. So one thing that we can do is just fast before bed, have the majority of your calories during the daytime, and you're going to be better off glucose-wise and health-wise. Okay, I want to bring on Tina. She has a question. So let's bring on the awesome Tina. Hey, Tina. Hey, Tina. Hey, Kara. So thanks yeah. for being here. Say, you know, I was one of the early adopters of NutriSense and you were my nutritionist for the I first remember. six months or so. It was great. That's but awesome. yeah, I remember I had those huge drops with the cold showers and the big, you know, glucose responses to exercise. And it was so great having you as my nutritionist. And I have my NutriSense on screen. I still use it pretty regularly. I, I'll take a month off or two here and there. Um, my question to you is this. Are you planning on coordinating your app, which I absolutely love, with additional apps to make inputting things like meals and ketones and exercise a little easier? I tend to use my fitness pal and map my run. And so logging it in there and then logging it in your app again it, it was just too redundant. And so I'm hoping that there might be some more coordination with um, additional apps in the future. Yeah, it's a great question. And it is certainly something that we're working on. Specifically with meal tracking, it is cumbersome thing for some people to do. And a lot of people have their preferences. The difficulty with syncing is sometimes with the third party itself, whether they want to or not. So there are a couple really popular apps that don't necessarily want to open up their API and sync with you. So sometimes there's only so much you can do with that. But we are actively, we're actually in progress right now of working with a different third party to have a better database in our system to make food logging within our app much easier and have more foods available. Uh, so that's something we're working on. And we're always working on syncing with more of those other third-party devices so the information can just show up in our app rather than having to double log. Again, sometimes the problem is if the third party is willing or not. A lot of people will put their information to Apple Health, which we can pull or Google Fit. So we're trying to find the balance of syncing what we can and then also making it easier to log the things inside of our app as well. So certainly top of mind. Thank you. Thank you, Tina. Awesome question. I love that she was an early adopter and you were her, uh, her coach. That's awesome. So you get a coach when you go through NutriSense? Yeah, that's right. So um, NutriSense, we really believe in the power of data and humans. So we think that data is only part of the story. And without somebody there to kind of help you figure out the obstacles, to figure out exactly where to start or what to do, then it might just become noise instead of a signal. And that's what we want to avoid. So every new customer gets a dietitian that they can work with. And it's a one-on-one -on -one dietitian that you can chat with through our app. 
So all the communication happens through the app, kind of like texting, and they're there to help answer any questions that you know people might have related to the topics we're discussing. If you're wondering why the heck did my glucose just go up? How do I get it to stop doing that? or to help reach general goals, you know, meal ideas, uh, stress reduction ideas, those type of things. They're there to help support you in whatever way is best for you. That's awesome. I love that you guys do that. Is it available in Canada? Kira wants to know. It is. So we're available in both Canada and the U.S. right now. So far, those are the only two places hoping to expand that in the future. But yes, we are in Canada. That's good news, Kira. A lot of these companies we've got brought on, they don't go to Canada. So I'm glad you guys do. All right, let's talk about um, where to get it. And we have a special coupon code. And then how much how much does it cost, Kara? Where can they get it? We'll share the coupon code. And is there like a monthly subscription to it? Yeah. So to sign up, you just go to our website, which is Nutrisense.io. You fill out a quick health questionnaire, and then we take care of everything else for you. And we have two options. We have one that is called, you know, it's our 14-day trial. And so this is one CGM. It lasts that two weeks, and you get the app, the dietitian support. It's a one-time fee, no recurring costs. It's $175. Or we have monthly options where you would get two CGMs a month um, and you would have that kind of monthly recurring subscription. And we have cheaper prices the longer you want to commit for. So the cheapest one is a 12-month plan and it's $185 a month for those two CGMs a month. A lot of people ask, we don't take insurance because unfortunately insurance doesn't cover this at this point in time, but we do take HSA and FSA if people have those accounts. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And we have a coupon code for you guys to use. So it's Nutrisense.io. And if you use the coupon code KETOCAMP at checkout, of course, you know, campus spelled with the K. There's no space in between. I think it's a great, great, I, I know it's a great tool. And yeah, 14 days will give you some data. I think at least two months will give you some even better data. And if you're type 2 diabetic, insulin resistance, of course, I would go for more 12 months to really fine tune what's going on. Uh, there's a question here from Lynn Jacob, who has NutriSense. She says, uh, well, she had a previous question, but here's the second question. Do I need to physically scan my phone with the CGM to get readings or will it automatically scan if my phone is nearby? You do have to physically scan this. So some of the CGM devices out there will use Bluetooth and it will automatically sync. And some use what's called an NFS, NFC, so a near field chip or communication, I believe it's called. And that means you have to physically scan. So the good news is there's no Bluetooth. And the bad news is you have to physically scan, but it captures data for the last eight hours. So as long as you scan once every eight hours, you'll capture that full 24-7 data. Yeah, and it's very easy. Lynn probably has done it already, but you just open up the, um, is it the, fruit, the the app? And then you just scan it right there and boom, you have it. Uh, Lynn says, just activated my NutriSense CGM. Curious how it communicates with Keto Mojo with ketones. Yeah, so we do have a integration with Keto Mojo. They are very friendly with other integrations. They're great over there. And so if you turn the integration on, then your ketones will automatically sync into our app if you have the Keto Mojo that has Bluetooth. So if you take a ketone measurement on your Keto Mojo, it's going to show up in our app so you don't have to double log that one. We also have additional automatic integration with Biosense if you have a Biosense mm. device. So both of those, if you take the measurements on your device, will show up in our app without having to double 
Apple Log. So we're trying to get more of those. I love that. Yeah, I have both devices. I love Dorian and Keto Mojo, and I love uh, Jim from Biosense. They're both awesome companies and awesome people. You know, the company that comes out with the continuous ketone monitor, maybe Nutrisense, they're going to freaking crush the marketplace. Is that something you want to explore or what? Yeah, we, we get asked this a lot. So we're not making the hardware. We're trying to be a software and service company. So we probably right. will not be making a continuous ketone monitor, um, but we will certainly utilize it and incorporate it into our device when someone out there in the hardware industry comes out with it. It doesn't exist as of yet, but from what I've heard, uh, you know, through the grapevine is is it's not far off from reality. So hopefully, hopefully it comes out pretty soon. Yeah, that, that would be awesome to get that. And something that's really cool is when you have the CGM from NutriSense and then you have like the BioSense device, that's a great one-two punch without having to prick your finger. I love Keto Mojo. I think they're fantastic. But if you don't want to prick your finger, then the breath ketone gives you the acetone reading and then the glucose monitor is a great one-two punch for that. Question here. I don't know who it is because it says Facebook user, but noticed that even a small amount of alcohol causes me to wake to bolt upright four hours later. What say you? What do you think is happening there? I'm guessing this means it's waking you up. But what we see, at least from a glucose perspective with alcohol, is quite interesting. So things that are not carbohydrate containing, so something like dry wine or liquor, tends to actually cause a small glucose dip within a couple hours afterwards as your body prioritizes uh, metabolizing the alcohol over other glucose homeostasis processes because it's a toxin. It's, It's priority number one to process that alcohol. So we typically see a glucose dip. But then we often see a glucose rise into the next day. So some elevated fasting glucose values the next morning um, as the body kind of tries to find equilibrium again. So it's possible that you're dipping in the middle of the night and having some true hypoglycemic symptoms, which we have seen. It's not uncommon to have some hypoglycemia symptoms after alcohol intake, especially if it's more than one drink. Uh, So it's possible that that could be going on. But you might also just need to go to the bathroom. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, it could be both. Yeah, then that was Todd who asked that question. I see you, Todd. Other, other question here before we wrap this up is, am I able to join NutriSense even though I already have a, a CGM Libre every month on my own by subscription? Great question. Um, at this time, so... Abbott makes a few different versions of the Libre. They make one that is more so for physicians, companies, and then they have make a consumer version. And right now, the consumer version that you would probably get if you already have your own prescription doesn't sync with our app. We're working on that. We just wanted to have the version that we can make available work first. And so that's the Libre we use. So long story short, if you have your own Libre, it probably won't work with our app, but we're working on that integration. And then we do have an integration if you get your own Dexcom, which some people prefer. Dexcom is much more expensive. So that is why we are not supplying them directly right now because we want to make it as cheap as possible for people. But some people prefer a Dexcom. So if you get that on your own, that does integrate and sync with our app. Awesome. And then last question here is, can you wear a sensor, a CGM sensor in cryotherapy or sauna? You can. Yeah. So you just have to be careful, especially with the sauna to not bump it off if you're super sweaty. So some people have slippier skin than others. Sometimes, you know, the end of two weeks, you can barely pull it off because the adhesive is so sticky. And for some people, three days in, it falls off from a hot yoga or a sauna. So wear the bandage over top. Just be careful about not bumping it when you're changing clothes and whatnot, but it won't break the device. You should be able to wear in both. Awesome. Where's the best place to go check out your work, Kara, and NutriSense's work? 
Yeah, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter at Nutrisense.io. We also have a newsletter um, on our website, Nutrisense.io, where we're constantly writing blogs about things we're finding, discovering, things we're thinking about. So that's a great place to kind of stay up to date on all of this interesting information. It's very interesting. Where are you located, by the way? Um, I'm in Austin, Texas. Oh, we're nice. a fully remote company, so we're kind of all over. Yeah, that's the way to be right now, of course. I'm in Miami, so um, and I'm also remote, fully remote as well. So I want to say thank you, Kara, for uh, coming on here and teaching us about the CGM and the blood glucose readings and the little hacks we can do, simple tips we can do, but also being a genius, like Einstein said, and helping people be proactive, not reactive, preventing amputations, preventing diabetic comas, preventing kidney diseases with a device that could save lives and it is saving so many lives. So thank you for making it accessible to the world. Thank you for offering it to my community and thank you for showing up in the world and educating this very important message. And I can't wait to have another conversation with you and do more collaborations. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Kara. If you want to get your hands on a NutriSense CGM device, head to www.nutrisense.io and use the coupon code KETOCAMP at checkout. No space in between. Camp with the K. KETOCAMP at checkout. It needs to be the one-month trial versus the two-week trial to get that coupon code applied. And we'll drop a link for that down below. And go follow Kara on her social media platforms, which we'll reference in the show notes down below. Shoot us a maybe a screenshot of this episode and post it on your stories and tag us both on Instagram. I am at the Benazadi, and she is at Kara Collier One, which I'll put a link down for down below as well. Just a final reminder: our 90-day detox program is launching in a couple days, and we have two spots left. If you want to work with me. Dr. Mindy Peltz, Dr. Daniel Pampa, other detox specialists out there to understand and apply true cellular detox, I encourage you to go to ketocampdetox.com. I will drop a link for you down below in the show notes. Please leave the podcast a rating or a review. If you got any value from this, send it to a friend, text it to somebody, post it on your social media. I want to thank you so much for listening to the entire episode. I'll see you on Monday. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Benazadi, disclaim responsibility from any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own. And this podcast does not accept responsibility of statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or non-direct interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.